When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. All right, welcome to Taken Care of Lady Business. Today, I have Karen Kahn. She's the founder and CEO of iFundWomen and has dedicated her career to closing the funding and confidence gap for women entrepreneurs, iFundWomen is the go-to marketplace for women-owned businesses and the people who want to fund them. Karen is a pioneer in tech and media, as you will hear. Karen, welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business. Thank you for having me, Miss Jennifer Justice. And <laughs> full welcome. disclosure, you are one of our investors. We yes, have that to is say true. That. And we'll get to that. Yes. I love that. You're, I'm lawyering for you, even though you're the lawyer. Exactly. Um, So this is, uh, I was telling Karen, this is like our first episode that we are recording and I know it's going to be amazing. And we were just talking about how hard it is like to be a woman because I'm like, I feel like I'm like sweating, taking my kids to camp and it's like 90 degrees humidity outside. Um, And like how we have- uh, And you're doing it on your own. And I'm doing it on my own. Yes. Yeah, me too. All right. So that will be a theme throughout this entire thing, because, you know, mainly we're going to be interviewing women this, this entire time and uh, talking about their stories about like how they are doing things and like real tactical. So let's start with your origin story. Tell us a little bit how you got started, um, a little bit of, you know, background with Google and then how you got started in the startup space. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up at Google and YouTube in my 20s and What was amazing about that was the education I got about the internet, frankly, and how the internet was going to run, be monetized, you know, how user data and privacy. I really got a 10 year MBA in all things um, technology and internet. So, and had an amazing experience working at Google. So, I worked for the first six years on search and my territory, it was that early that my territory was New England and Canada like the country. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dragging my ass all around, you know, the Northern hemisphere selling ads essentially. And for when Google acquired YouTube in 2006, I hopped over the fence to the way cooler YouTube world and was running uh, sales teams for YouTube. And the reason that I got into, frankly, the reason I even became aware of the disparity between men and women vis-a-vis funding and economic opportunities was when I was at YouTube because it was my job to monetize the big creators. And at the time, the YouTube endemic audience was, you know, this young male audience creating gaming videos and all that stuff. So 
and I ran the CPG vertical, consumer packaged goods. So I was calling on Unilever and P&G and Pepsi and Coke and, you know, just these huge brand budgets. And um, the only content I really was able to monetize at scale was content made by men. And it struck me at the time because they were wanting to buy women. They wanted to buy this women's audience, but yet the content just wasn't there at YouTube. So it made me start to think like, wow, like why aren't there more women creators that are scalable, that are scaled? And for those listening, it just means that they have enough views that you can package them up and sell them to advertisers because they want to buy millions and millions and millions of views. So that really got me started in thinking about, you know, how women show up in the economic world so much differently than men do. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to start YouTube for women without the trolls. And I'm not going to get into a whole long story about it, but it, it did lead me to entrepreneurship because that's what I, that was my first company I started. So I was at YouTube for a while and I was, you know, I'm, I get bored. I'm an entrepreneur. Right. I need to create things. So I was an intrapreneur there and created the first sort of native video ads on the web, which meant that I wasn't selling banners and pre-roll advertising. I was selling product placement, which for Google was completely new and actually not allowed. But I went rogue with a product manager on YouTube and we were like, we can't keep the lights on for these creators selling spots and dots. So we've got to figure out something else. Right. Long story short, um, I went to my boss who had just come over from Netflix at the time. And I said, hey, you know, I have all these CPG companies that want to buy women. They want to buy the audience. They want to buy women as an audience because we're making 80% of the household purchasing decisions. Yet I don't have content to sell them. Right. So why don't we go through the entire YouTube library and place a physical stamp on every video that is made by a woman, package it up, quintuple the price and sell it to Unilever or Coke or whoever. And he he looked at me with this like blank stare. Like I was like an alien from outer space. Right. He was like, well, I think that's illegal from a gender perspective, which right. it is actually is illegal. So picking up with, so long story short, my idea for YouTube for women was not super well received at YouTube, not because there aren't feminists there or people that care about women. It just was too much work, yeah. right? It right. just really was too much work, which they ended up doing years later, Yeah, um, creating a whole suite of women's content. But yeah. my first at that point, startup I'm sure, was too much, you know? Because YouTube was, is such well, a behemoth, like, you know, like. Yeah. Yes. But like where there's a will, there's a way. Are yeah. you kidding me? Like that, that's a bullshit excuse. Like, right, right. yes, they were a behemoth, but it was early days of YouTube where, you know, they still didn't have the algorithms right to keep, you know, shady content from ads. Right. Like we did this deal with Toyota. I will never forget it. We did. Toyota was one of our first like eight figure sponsors of YouTube. And they sponsored the comedy channel and there was an abortion video. There was a, there were Damon Wayans did a comedy sketch on abortion. Right. They pulled the entire buy. Oh my God. Right. So it wasn't so developed. Susan Wojcicki was not the CEO. Right, right, right. It wasn't even Salar. It was even before then. So they weren't too far along to do something about it. Right. So I'm not making excuses for for these big platforms. Like, and none of us should be quite frankly. Okay, good. Um, Perfect. Good to know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they know a lot more and can do a lot more than we think and what they say, but that's not the point. The point is I wanted to start YouTube for women without the trolls. And I brought the idea to my boss at YouTube. He was like, no, no way. can't do it. I was like, okay. So when we, I left 
the cushy corporate world, I had this idea in my back pocket that I wanted to do. So I rallied a couple of coworkers, my now co-founders, Kate and Sarah, and a developer, and we went and built this thing. And it was an epic fail, an right. epic fail. We did everything ass backwards. Right. From, you know, when you work at these big companies, especially something like Google, you are really brainwashed into thinking that anything you do is going to be amazing because the right. reality is being in sales at Google is how much do you want to buy? How much, you know, exactly. um, phone rings, you have a lot of leverage, a lot of leverage. And also media buyers have to buy Google. Yeah. Period. It's, yeah. it's not like I had to sell them on it. Right? right. It was just more about building customer relationships and also making sure that, you know, they're getting ROI and all of the things, but it wasn't a difficult sales job. Right. I wasn't banging down doors. Right, right, right. So coming from that, and also, you know, there is this thing to this, um, I don't want to say arrogance, because I'm definitely not an arrogant person at all, but there was this sort of connotation of people from Google being arrogant because, you know, yeah, it was such a great product and so on and so forth. And I never bought into that, but I did feel a bit brainwashed for sure into thinking that anything I did after that was going to be successful. Right. Because when I started at Google, I was 24, Yeah, yeah. 24 to 34, your most, almost your most formative business years. When you think yeah. about it yeah. in your brain, I was like, wow, this is just easy and awesome. I had similar <laughs> yeah. because I worked with Jay-Z from the beginning and his album came out hard knock life, which is the first one I worked on and it became massive. And then he just stayed massive. And I was like, this is how it is all the time. You know, you come out with the number one album. And I was like, wait, who gets number two? If everyone who comes out is number one. So right. I had the same, yes. same kind of formative years and worked for him. So yes, I understand that. Well, yeah. So then when you were, so when you segued with these, for friends and and then um, what was that company called? It was called V Proud, and the V stands for video. Okay. So it was a video based conversation platform yeah. built for women, and the idea was that we wanted women to we wanted to highlight female creators who were creating content around really any topic. We had everything from sex to depression to you know to mental health, physical health, wellness, you know, you name it, um, politics you know, it went on and on and on. And like we were really building time. a media company. What's that? Sounds like it was before it's time. Oh, I have pioneer syndrome. It's yeah. a made up disease for people that have really good ideas way before it's time. Way before. It's yes. Time. But that's not the reason the company failed. So V proud failed miserably for a couple of key reasons. One, we could not raise funding oh. period yeah. to save our lives. And this was one of the sort of the brainwashy things that I was talking about. So when I was socializing the idea with my friends at Google, they were all like, oh my gosh, go out and raise money for this. There's no reason that, you know, with your pedigree and with the YouTube background and you're going to build a video platform, they'll be clamoring to write you checks. And I had never, I didn't even know what venture capital and the words even meant. Right. I'd never taken a finance class. Yeah. I'd never taken a math class. I'm very good at standardized tests. So I placed out of all of my math and science and econ classes at the University of Wisconsin on like the first day, they're like, hey, do you want to take standardized tests to get out of this stuff? I'm like, yep. Yeah. So I got out of it all and I majored in African-American studies at the University of Wisconsin. So like- Sounds useful for what you're doing now. <laughs> well, yes, but we didn't know that 25 years ago. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But I didn't know how to run a business. Yeah. I didn't know how to read a PL. and yeah. I never- I really had no idea what it took to start a business. And so 
it was really, it failed for a number of reasons. One, we couldn't raise capital. I didn't speak the language. I didn't understand the conscious slash unconscious biases. Right. This was back in 2014, before sort of Alan Powell, before Me yeah. Too, before all of the talk about funding, you know, women, none of that was a thing, yeah. right? It just wasn't. So we went out and I did have connections. So we went out to raise capital and I got tons of meetings. And I think a lot of people were just interested in meeting me. And, you know, I had great connections, but we couldn't raise money. And Sarah and Kate, my two co-founders, and I looked at each other after two years of slogging it out and not being able to raise capital. And we also like the product was clunky. We did a lot of things backwards. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that like, it was a great product or a great business because it wasn't either of those things. It was a great idea that if funded could have done something, right? Yeah. So at the end of a two-year slog, we were running out of money. We couldn't make payroll. And I was so like- you self-funding just- at this point? Yeah, we, I self-funded it, which is another reason why we failed because when you're spending your own money, yeah. it's easy to waste it Yeah, yeah, yeah. because you're not spending someone else's money. Like we're a you know, VC-backed company now at yeah. iFund Women. So I am so careful with every dollar because it's our runway. I'm not putting any of my own money into this thing yeah. and it's funded by other people's money. So I am, you know- we want to drive a return on investment for our um, investors. Yeah. And so it's very different when you're playing with your own money versus investor money. So I was playing with my own money, which meant I spent way too much on technology before even doing customer discovery, customer research, beta testing, making a super scrappy MVP. We didn't do that. Right. Those are the things that we teach our entrepreneurs now to do. Right. But we didn't do that. We failed. So yeah. you know, for the listeners, it's like, this is really to like educate everybody. Talk about what an MVP is just quickly on the side. Yeah. An MVP is a minimally viable product. So it basically means a pilot or a prototype. So the idea when you start a business is you want to prove demand right. before you invest in supply. And by supply, I mean building out your product and spending lots of money on engineering and this, that, and the other before you even know that your users or your customers are going to want to use it. So in other words, an MVP, a minimally viable product is it's your it's literally exactly what it says. It's a product that works just enough for that one thing you want your user to do so you can test it out and for them to give you feedback. Right. So for example, if you're in film, right? You would cut um like a little teaser or a yeah. sizzle reel or exactly. something to show like what the thing is going to be about and maybe who the actors are in and then you're shopping it around, right? But it's not the whole. It's not the whole film, obviously. Right. Or, or it's a concept. Yeah. A yeah. treatment. No, that's a really good analogy for people to really understand. Because back to your point about you didn't know venture capital, how to start a business. Like, where does one find that? It's not like you Google it and like, how do I, you know? And that's just the- it. It's like there's all of these tricks and trades and like, you know, like different um, like wording and and sayings that like. We're like, I don't know what that means. Like, yes. and you feel stupid asking yes. what it means because, you know, you didn't take the finance class or you don't have a group of like friends in finance and you can't go to them. And so- Or even like, startup right. founders. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not in Silicon Valley. I'm in New York. I'm not with the exactly. bros. I was in the media business with brand people. Yeah. And like, they're all giving each other money and advice and the same, you know, people to work for and with. And yeah, so it becomes this hamster wheel. So then when did you pivot from Be Proud to I Found Fund Women? 
So when we were running out of money, I was like, we're out of money. I'm not putting my, any more of my money into this thing. Like, let's just do a Kickstarter to like, to, to make payroll. So we did a Kickstarter and I very quickly learned when we put up the Kickstarter, that crowdfunding is literally just sales and marketing. Yeah. And I'm, that's me. I'm a sales monetization guru lady. I can sell ice to Eskimos basically. So when we put up the Kickstarter and I quickly realized like, oh, this is just going to be a million calls a day, like getting people to fund this thing. And so I did. My first job was in inside sales as a telemarketer where I had to make 80 phone calls a day. So I went into telemarketer mode. I'm not kidding. And was calling everybody I ever knew. And I was like, hey, will you support our startup? We're really trying to change the world for you know women in video and women, the female creative economy and creating economic opportunities for female creators. And so many people got behind it, right. which was great. We raised $30,000 in 30 days, which Jennifer, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Because I was just calling and begging people for money. Yeah. And kind of what crowdfunding is, to be honest. It's what it was. It, we've evolved it to be right. you know, a real exercise in starting a business. But there was a couple of things, key things that I learned in that exercise. Number one, why isn't every entrepreneur, I don't care what your gender is, why isn't every entrepreneur doing crowdfunding as the first stop on their funding journey before they waste all these years tracing VC, before they go into credit card debt or any kind of debt, which is what most entrepreneurs do to fund their businesses. Yeah. Before they go into debt, funding a business that's likely going to fail, use crowdfunding as a demand gen platform. Use it to prove demand. Right. And then if people like what you're selling, whether it's your idea, product, service, idea, mission, vision, whatever it is you're selling, if people are buying into it, then you've got something. You've got a germ of an idea that people believe in, and you can iterate on that. Right. right. So the idea came from this sort of really doing a lot of due diligence around like, Why isn't there a crowdfunding platform for women? Number one, this ain't rocket science. This is literally sales. Like, why aren't there coaches and mentors and people to just show you how to do it? And there weren't at the time. It was at the time, it was Indiegogo, GoFundMe, and Kickstarter. And Indiegogo is a Kickstarter knockoff, and GoFundMe is personal charity. So it was really Kickstarter was the you know, the gold standard. And it's a great platform. And but you can't have help. There's no humans. I even, yeah. So (laughs) the impetus for us starting it was. This is a great way to get funding. Yeah. We could not raise capital to save our lives. And even more importantly, Jennifer, is that when we started doing our research on like funding and women entrepreneurs and seeing how many women entrepreneurs, so 1,800 net new businesses are started every single day by a woman in this country, 89% of those businesses are started by women of color. Amazing. So my two white co-founders and I, white co-founders of Privilege, I had Google pedigree, had great connections in New York. We said to each other in conversation, like, if it's this hard for us and we are so privileged, how hard must it be for our sisters of color who have none of the privileges that we have, including the color of our skin, including the access? Yeah. And so we thought, like, this is a massive problem and we want to solve a big problem. Mm -hmm. And so we sunsetted the first startup, Be Proud, which was, you know, it was hard and emotional for like a hot minute, but because I fund women was so much more important of a calling, we didn't mourn the loss of Be Proud for too long. Right. The biggest thing on that one was we had made so many videos 
We were a video platform. We were also video creators ourselves. And the videos that we made were talking about lots of were sensitive topics back then, mm-hmm. right? And so we had to go and unlist. I believe it was like, it was almost a thousand videos from YouTube, from Google search and from YouTube. We had to put them on private. And that was sad. I remember Sarah Summers, my co-founder and I, we were just like, click, private, click, private. Because at that point we were pivoting and starting a fintech company. Right. So we couldn't have potential partners, investors, anyone Google us and see me talking about, you know, my sex life on, you know, V proud, which I was doing, which was fine because that was that business. Yeah. So that's what brought us to iFund Women. We were female founders who could not get funded. Right. And we wanted to help change, you know, solve the problem. So here you are, though, though, you start another company, which is for funding women, but you still need to get funded for this one. You know, so I want to put a pin in that because I want you to talk about what crowdfunding is, because I think a lot of people don't really understand what it is. And so can you just like concisely say what I fund women is and how um, you're helping the, the women, you know, fund their businesses? Well, and men, you know, of course. Yeah, but of course. Um, how what kind of businesses those are that usually are the most successful? Yeah, great questions. OK, so I'm going to tackle the first one first. And yes, we absolutely have men. Mixed gender co-founder teams perform better. So, and men are totally welcome, but we're focused on women, obviously, because 97% of venture capital goes to men. Yeah. You know, they don't typically have a problem. Right. Okay. So I fund women is now what was started as a crowdfunding platform five years later has evolved into a full suite funding marketplace Mm -hmm. with multiple products to drive debt-free capital into the hands of early stage women entrepreneurs. And debt-free capital means you own all the equity of your company. You don't owe anybody anything, which I think is a misconception in crowdfunding. People think that they kind of get like a portion of the company because people have crowdfunded like albums and they get like a royalty or something on it. But yes, that's a great point. You won't owe anybody anything. Instead, what you get like incentives or like, what do they offer? Yeah. So crowdfunding, that's a great point. So there's two kinds of crowdfunding. There's rewards-based crowdfunding and there's equity crowdfunding. And rewards-based is really cash. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. So essentially you are an entrepreneur who has an idea or you have a product or you have a service or you have a mission or a vision or a dream, whatever it is, you're just starting out and you need to raise cash really to fund the earliest days of your business. So Mm -hmm. you might need to build your proof of concept. You may be past that and you want to get your first customers. You want to do some market testing. You might be an established business who wants to launch a new product and wants to see if your customers want it. So there's lots of different stages of businesses that are great for crowdfunding. It's not just for early, early stage. We have businesses that have been in business for 10 years, brick and mortars, who crowdfunded during COVID, they crisis crowdfunded because they right. you know, had to. Yeah. So it really runs the gamut. But the beautiful thing about crowdfunding is that you are in complete control of your raise, which mm-hmm. means that you're essentially putting up a professional video. You're talking about your business. You have your rewards, which are perks mm-hmm. that people can buy in exchange for cash. So right. if you think about it, it's kind of like e-commerce. But the cool thing is, it's for, if you're a SaaS B2B company, you can do it. Right. We have, we're sector agnostic. So any, we have companies from blockchain, fintech apps, 
you know, remittance apps, right. which is all jargon, right? Big data companies to, I know, to farm to table restaurants, to yoga studios, yeah. to, you know, parenting uh, yeah. products, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you're selling, especially I want you to, you know, I'm sure you have a lot of business services, people yeah. that listen to your podcast. Yeah. Business services do, do the best actually really? on iPhone women. Yes. Because they have a service to sell. Yeah. And it's oftentimes an amazing service because it's yeah. being run by women and women yeah. are awesome. Yeah. And you can sell your service to new customers at a discounted rate. So I'll give you a good example. So there's a SaaS company out of North Carolina that ran a crowdfunding campaign and they were right. like, SaaS How? Is as a software as a service. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Software as a service. So it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a MailChimp, yeah. right? Or a Slack, Adobe, software as a anything service. like that. Like, yeah. Exactly. Any software you would, you know, subscribe to every month. They were like, how are we going to crowdfund? And how are we going to sell our services? Well, the answer to that was, okay, you are trying to get beta customers. They were post-product. They built their product mm -hmm. and they were now trying to get their first customers. So we developed this thing called the iPhone Women Method, which is really just a suite of tools that completely demystify how to crowdfund from creating a PL for you to creating your reward strategy. So with their reward strategy, I said, okay, let's make a list of who would you want to be your beta customers? Who are you trying to sell into? And so they had this laundry list of about a hundred small businesses mm -hmm. in their local area that would benefit from this software, right? which was a $10,000 an annual subscription, enterprise subscription. Yeah, I said, okay, which was going to be, I said, okay, you need to get beta customers and beta customers are not going to pay $10,000 for your beta product, right? right? But they might pay $2,500, mm -hmm. right? Or they might pay $1,500, so, but you don't want to do that for too many. You don't want yeah. to do that for all a hundred on your lead list. Exactly. You want to do it for five. Yeah. And it was like, it was really a, a lesson in just sort of business strategy. Right. So crowdfunding is just literally starting. It's all the things you do for crowdfunding, selling, marketing, getting your target audience together, understanding what's going to take for them to buy, understanding the price points at which they will buy, um, understanding their buying motivations, mm -hmm. Right. This is all just crowdfunding. So they and put up all services that you guys help them with. This is all services we help them with, with yeah. our coaching platform, which was our second product. Yeah. So long story long, they <laughs> successfully crowdfunded and got their beta customers. Yeah. You know, I think most people think of crowdfunding as the speaker cooler or the Pebble Watch or the Veronica Mars movie or the, yeah. these tangible yeah. or like the cool new jacket that zips into a bag yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. But you don't have to have a physical product that people are buying in order yeah. to crowdfund. Anyone can crowdfund. Right. It's just a function of preparation. Yeah. Understanding your network of customers who would want to buy into your vision. Yeah. And by customers, I mean, you have two sets of customers for crowdfunding. One are your FFFs, your friends, family, and followers, yeah. people who love you and are going to support you no matter what, right. but are not going to be your customers for your right. SaaS solution. Yeah, um, We'll keep going with that analogy because it's really sort of like one that people never think of with crowdfunding. And then on the other side of it, you have your actual either current or prospective customers, yeah. people that you want to get to try your product or are already using your product yeah. that you want to upsell. Yeah. So all of this learning 
is the iFund Women Method. Yeah. And our second product within the marketplace is a coaching product where it's e-coaching, private coaching, 30-minute sessions where we solve one problem for one entrepreneur in one session. Yeah. And uh, you can talk about, uh, you can, obviously we teach on how to raise capital, how to crowdfund, but also how to build a tech product if you're a non-technical founder, Right. how to set up your Google analytics, how to do retargeting ads, how to do your audience messaging and marketing. We have subject matter experts on staff at iPhone Women that coach on this stuff and right. we do it for free with a huge freemium product. Right. Um, freemium for those who don't know is a, it's like Spotify where is Spotify still freemium? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. With ads. So if like you yeah. do the free Spotify and this is not a hashtag, not an ad. So a good example um, of a freemium product is Spotify where you can sign up for free, but you have to listen to ads, right? You don't have to, there's no ads on iPhone women, but we yeah. have a very robust free coaching program. And the reason we have that is because not everybody can afford the private coaching program. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think we should talk about women and investing in themselves because our private coaching product is $200 a month. Yeah. And it pays itself back in the first hour of your campaign. Yeah. So it's literally just ensuring you're going to have a successful raise. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Talking about uh, women investing in themselves, but um, and we'll get to that one. I want to then talk about how you raised money because you just talked about how you couldn't raise money in your old thing. Now you're starting in VBroad. Now you have iFund Women. And how long before you started raising money because you knew you needed to raise money because you have a tech product, right? So it's very difficult to scale those, you know, that kind of company without raising money. Absolutely. So when we started iFund Women, I was like just really could not even think about going out and raising venture capital. So we had our Kickstarter money. We had like $17,000 left. This is no joke. So Shilpa, who was our developer at the time, I was like, Shilpa, we're not doing this anymore. We're doing right. this other thing. Right. How cheaply can we build our MVP, our minimally viable product yeah. and test it and see if people even want this thing yeah. before. And so that was the plan. So we were, so that's what we did. We built a super scrappy MVP on a WordPress page mm -hmm. with a WordPress plugin with our sort of quote unquote, pretty product marketing pages built on Squarespace on another domain. Yeah. We called her Frankenstein because she, and a Slack integration. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I say she was Frankenstein, she was Frankenstein. Okay. I mean, the color codes on WordPress look different from the color codes on Squarespace. Right. Okay. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? I hearken back to my like Google brainwashing, the good part yeah. of just make sure that the one thing you want your, your customers to be able to do, they can do. Right. And then you do in your job. The one thing we wanted our customers to be able to do was to create a crowdfunding page and for the funders to be able to check out and support. Like that's it. Right. And so we had $16,000 or whatever it was. We built the MVP. We put it out. It worked. It was wildly successful. We had revenue and we re generate revenue right away. Right. So because we take 5%, which is not a lot, it's not, you know, keeping the lights on, but right. at the beginning with this one product, but we were revenue positive from the beginning. But more importantly, the demand for the platform became, it actually broke the platform. So when that happens, which again, like I say this very humbly, 
because VProd was such a disaster. Like we were buying traffic yeah. because no one was coming. I would watch my real-time Google Analytics and it would be like one user <laughs> and it would be our developer. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, it was mortifying, right. the fail. And so I just vowed to not repeat any of those mistakes. We did not buy traffic. We did not force anyone to do anything. We just sort of built a really scrappy Frankenstein, put her out there. And we had 20 beta customers who we made their videos for free. We put their campaigns up for free. Um, I literally made Cindy Gallup's video on her penthouse. Uh, she just yeah. bought her penthouse. The Sky Apartment, yes. The Sky Apartment. <laughs> and we made her video at the Sky Apartment. My co-founder was like seven months pregnant and running the camera. Yeah. I was directing. I mean, talk about doing it. We didn't hire anybody. Right. We did yeah. it all ourselves. Yeah. And it ended up that the problem that we're solving, which is the funding gap for women, is such a systemic big problem yeah. for 170 million women around the world yeah. that it took off. And we were the only game in town and Hillary had just lost the election. We launched on November 2nd, oh 2016 God. on Squawk Box. Didn't we think we were cool with the domain name ifundwomen.com that we had bought two months before for $2.99, mm-hmm. which is both sad and happy. <laughs> No one gave a shit about women entrepreneurs. So nobody cared about that URL. So we got it. I was like, oh no, I don't even know if this business is going to work. This URL was too easy to get, but we had a ton of demand enough that it kind of broke the platform. So when we went to raise, that was, you know, the plot, we fixed it quickly and it wasn't down for very long. But the point is we had to have traction. We didn't raise money for two years. We We started let's call it our first full year in earnest was 2017. So we did 2017 and 2018. And in late 2018, we got one angel investor. Mm -hmm. And then we also, um, late 2018. Yeah. 2018. I'm losing track of my years at this point. And then in 2019, we raised a seed round of which you were involved. Yes. And the reason we were able to do that was because we had traction, tons of customers, revenue, and the revenue was nothing great. It was like, I think in our first year, we did $100,000 in revenue in 2017. In 2018, we did half a million, mm-hmm. which was a great jump. Yeah. So in 2019, with you know probably 1,500 customers and half a million in revenue the year before, we were then ready. This is what women have to do. So much more. We were then ready to go and raise a seed round. And we were also very strategic about it. We did a seed round, which was almost like we kind of crowdfunded it a little bit because we knew that we wanted women investors. Mm -hmm. We knew that the check sizes were going to be smaller and that is no knock on women. It's just a fact. We don't have that wealth. We just don't. We don't have the capital. And we're not used to it. So we're not used to just like flinging it around. So, you know, it's a little scarier for us. We just don't have it. Absolutely. And we know our supporters, we know our, you know, our cohort. Yeah. And so we made the minimum check size $10,000. Yeah. We only were raising seven fifty. dollars We ended up raising $2 million, which was amazing. Yeah. And we had check sizes anywhere from $10,000 to half a million. Mm-hmm. And we raised it really quickly um, during February. And we ended in March of Women's History Month of 2019. We planned it out. One of the reasons it was successful 
was one, the traction, the revenue, and the people that we invited to participate in the round were all feminists, both men and women, but mostly women were women, you know, in New York, a couple in LA, a couple in Toronto, um, but mostly New York women who got the problem, who were entrepreneurs or financiers or, you know, women in the funding world who got it, who have been through what we'd been through, who'd walked our shoes. So you, Sally Krawcheck, Rebecca Minkoff, you know, and then there are funds like Able Partners who were investing in lots of women-owned businesses and other funds. So that was a great experience because it validated, it was further validation that we were solving a problem that really needed to be solved. Yeah. And that felt good. Yeah. And we raised way more than what we needed, which was awesome. Yeah. And another key point for anyone listening who's thinking about raising venture capital, and I don't know if like we could go on forever, Jennifer, and I can like, I know. yak it away. So <laughs> I know. just shut I'm sure me you up. You have but... to have a day. Yeah. <laughs> you have other things, but um, yeah, go ahead about venture capital. Just very quickly, we raised on all common stock, which basically means um, there's different ways to raise, uh, different forms that you can raise an equity round and different ways to raise capital. And I'll just say this and be done, and then people can research it or I'll come back and talk about it more if you want. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I want the employees of iFund Women to own the company and the employees of iFund Women when we exit our IPO to get rich. Yeah. Okay. Because my company is made up of majority minority people, yeah. both men and women. Mm-hmm. And when I say minority people of color mm-hmm. and my larger macro goal in life is to create intergenerational wealth for people of color. I was an African-American studies major. Yeah, so now exactly. it all comes full circle. <laughs> yeah. So when we went to our lawyers and they were talking about terms, luckily we had an unbelievable advisor, yeah. a man who was mm-hmm. said, you're doing common stock. You're not doing these preferreds. You're not doing a safe. You're not doing notes. And, you know, again, we'll describe this in another podcast, but you're doing common stock. And I was scared because I was like, nobody does that. Like, nobody's going to want to fund this. Right. And he was like, you know what? If they don't get it, then they don't get, then they're not in. I'm like, okay. So I'm going to take this like white man, big swinging dick energy and like take that and run with it. Because even though I seem like that, I'm really not. And I'm, I was petrified of venture capital because I had such a bad experience with it. Right. You know, so. Well, because um, you don't know, yeah, you know, we don't know all the lingo. I remember being in a room where somebody was talking about um, dry powder and I was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's extra money. Like, just say it, you know? Oh, I just learned something. Thank you. I mean, yeah, but it's so ridiculous. It's just not meant for us. It's like using sports analogies constantly in business. Talk, dry powder. You know? Yeah. It's, it's Gross. ridiculous. Literally has just amount of same same amount of syllables as saying I just need some extra money hanging around. <laughs> More runway. How exactly. About that? It's like ridiculous. So you raise so you raise this a seed round, which is literally define what a seed round is to you. Well, a seed round is meant to be when you have a seed of an idea. Yeah. And venture capitalists want to get in on the earliest round at the lowest valuation. Yeah. So we raised on a $5 million pre-money valuation. Mm-hmm. And again, that's after having half a million dollars in revenue the year before and tons of customers yeah. and tons of all the yeah. things and being in the New York Times and blah, 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 without a publicist. And, you know, and where the, dis- so that's what a seed round is. It's your first round. So, well, it could be your second. So we raised, I mentioned from an angel. Yeah. 
So some people will do an angel round, which means you're getting checks that are, you know, 10,000, 20,000 from angels and angels are wealthy individuals that, you know, personally that believe in your mission, or it could be an angel syndicate or whatever. And then the next round is a seed round where you're getting checks. Typically the check sizes for a seed round are more like 50, a hundred, 250, you know, up to a million. It depends on what gender you are. It depends on what sector you are. It's yeah, that's what a seed round is. And then your next round is your A round. Right. Amazing. Well, I don't want to keep you forever because I know that you do have time. Uh, you have, you know, a day and uh, that's really sad. Well, thank you so much. We're ending on the saddest note. An experience with our listeners. I want to have you back. Um, is there any way that you want people to find you? Ifundwomen.com. Anything else? Yeah. Ifundwomen and then Ifundwomen at Karen Khan. You know, you could at Ifundwomen is great. Awesome. Um, and to end on a positive note, because yes, it is very hard to get funding for your yeah. business, but we've made it easier. And iPhone Women has driven over $100 million in capital right. to women-owned businesses who would have yeah. never had access to it. And that's nothing to sneeze at. So awesome. if you're listening to this and you're an entrepreneur and you're like, oh shit, it sounds really hard. It is hard, but we help you and we make it easier. So Thanks for having me, Jennifer. This is fun. I could talk to you all day. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you for listening and watching this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Please be sure to subscribe, comment, and share, and leave any review on the platform that you listen to the podcast. Till next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.